0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. show. I'm Linda Cosby, your host, and today is going to be all about romance. I'm interviewing uh, two romance authors, um, Jenny Gute and Shelley Shepard Gray. And um, let's see, I play the romantic opener music in honor of our authors today. I'm (laughs) going to read you uh, a little bio on my first guest, which is Jenny Gute. I'm pronouncing your name right, Jenny? Jenny Goutte is an American-born Anglophile who lives with her French husband and their three children in a small town outside of Paris. Her imagination resides in Regency, England, where her best-selling proper Regency romances are set. She is also author of the award-winning memoir, Stars Upside Down, two contemporary romances and the smattering of other published works. A Christian, a cook and an inveterate clutch. Jenny sometimes writes about faith, food, and life, even the clumsy moments on her blog, A aladyinfrance.com. Check that out. You can learn more about Jenny and her books and sign up for her newsletter on her author website, JennyGoutte.com. And check out her social too. Why not? <laughs> Welcome to the show, Jenny.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you for
1: calling from all the way. I mean, you're outside of, of Paris. Gosh.
0: Yes, I am. And there might be a slight delay, so I hope that that will not uh, bother the listeners.
1: Well, as long as my computer that my computer is like running hot. I, I think I need a new computer. I've loaded it with many, um, too many books and work in progress. Uh- <laughs> Uh, yes, that's a problem. (laughs) So, um, so do you, okay, I just need to ask, this question is is silly and you probably get it a lot, but do you watch Emily in Paris?
0: (laughs) I have seen a few episodes and that probably would have appealed to me around the same age, but, uh. (laughs) you know, I live my own, <laughs> I live my own story, and so I'm a suburban mom, actually, Not yeah. suburban in Paris, but still, I'm a suburban mom, so. First it's a little too
1: <laughs> yeah, exciting,
0: few. but it's kind of fun, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah, know <laughs> <laughs> Well, to me, it's, it's It's funny because when I come back, you know, when we go to visit the States um, to see my parents and everything, when I come back, I'm like, oh, I'm home. So it does feel normal. It feels like home to me. And, uh, um, uh, oh, no, there's somebody calling me.
2: (laughs) I don't don't
0: know if it's making this sound. Always, always. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I don't, I don't really know. Uh, okay, send a voicemail. Okay, so it's good. Um, uh, yes, so that was one of my French mom friends that was calling you. <laughs> I thought maybe, so, you know, it was mom, your like agent
1: know. calling with a new contract, and you ignored uh, it. Oh,
0: <laughs> yes, I, I should have said that. I should have said that. <laughs> okay, so, so let's, let's ask
1: first, how did you wind up in Paris? or outside of Paris? Well,
0: well, I had a dream when I was 18 that I was going to marry a French man and I kind of went, I decided I was going to set out and look for him and so I went to, uh, I did a study abroad when I was in college and um, that bore no fruit. (laughs) And then when I was, um, uh, you know, out of college, I moved to Taiwan so that I could, um, teach English there. And then I moved to New York city. I was kind of a little bit of a bohemian and I met a French guy there and we started dating and I was like, this is it, this is it um and uh it wasn't it <laughs> because uh, god had a better plan i uh i actually became a christian and my i went to new, back to new york city and my husband who was my French husband who was an atheist um became a christian and uh right at the same time actually and uh uh 3 years later we uh, started dating and that's why i'm here it's because of him <laughs>
1: Wow. What, and, that, and his family must be from around there.
0: Yes, they are. He uh, was born in Paris and they live, you know, um, in the suburbs of Paris, but not necessarily uh, right next to us. But um, it's really great to be near them.
1: That's awesome. Okay, I love hearing how people wind up where they wind up. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. So my next
1: question is how did you come to start writing regency romance?
0: Okay. Well, I started writing period um because of my memoir, that was the thing that kind of launched me into writing more than just a blog. And, uh, the memoir is about faith and grief and, you know, travel and all that, all that kind of thing. And when I was done writing that, I, I said, well, I, I want to keep writing longer books, but my story is already told. I'm going to have to make up some stories. And I had just discovered from one of my local British friends, um, Georgette Hare, um, and I just thought she was absolutely Absolutely brilliant I would read her books and I was just like my heart was filled with delight when I read them and I've reread them all so many times and she kind of um, created the Regency genre you know Jane Austen lived the, the Regency genre but um, J- uh, Georgette Hare was the one who kind of created it because she lived last century and uh, she, she's the one who you know brought it all back to life and everything and so that's why I started writing uh, read and see it. I wrote two contemporaries because I was a little afraid of taking the plunge. And then I was like, no, 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 I'm just I'm sure I can do it. I'm going to do it. And so I started writing it. I haven't looked back.
1: Now, your your latest one is the sport of matchmaking,
0: mm-hmm. which I'm going to
1: ask you, you know, just to give us a rundown on. But um, do I pronounce your series the uh, Clavering Chronicle series? Is that-
0: yeah, usually Clavering Chronicles. Clavering, clavering. Huh. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Labyrinth Chronicles. Yeah. So this is the this is the third book. Is that the final book in the series?
0: It's technically the final book. Sometimes I get, oh, could you please write, you know <laughs> so and so sorry and I'm a little tempted but, you know, it's technically the last one and I have moved on to another series which I'm writing now. Um and um um but you know so, so technically it's the last one but each book i should mention that each book can be read without having read the other ones i mean it's kind of nice to read them in order because you get to build yeah you kind of get the the background of everybody but it's not necessary
1: so your first book in the series so people can look these up was from grace and that was your debut book in the series mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. second one the second one was um Up
0: False Court. Yes. yes. Perhaps an un, un, unfortunate title because nobody understands what it means, and they can't pronounce Philippa. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, oh, let me do a play on words because I wrote it about the hero uh, uh, is, served in parliament. And um, it, it's, um, I got a lot of inspiration from the movie Amazing Grace you know, which is about the slave slave trade, and that occurred right before the Regency period. And um, so I thought, okay, court, like court of law, but then you have a court of suitors as well, and so holds court. I was thinking, oh, I'm doing yes. this little play of words, but nobody that's knows. That's what I
1: thought about. of the, the suitors.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: well, um what i mean how much research do you have to put into these i mean cuz you you have to get everything right or um people call you on it the readers call you on it
2: yes
0: yes one thing i think that has been in my favor is that i i grew up reading the classics so the kind of old language does come easily to me in a lot of ways you know uh, not perfectly I, I'm not British and I'm you know I'm, I didn't live in that century so I'm not a genius <laughs> but um, I uh, uh, it sounds natural to me and um, uh, so I think that helps but um, I do research everything I research whether a word was in usage I, I research you know uh, like If they're eating in the if they're in the country house, do they dine at six or do they dine later? You know, like everything I research and I put a lot of time on research because I do want to get it right.
1: Yeah. Do you do the spreadsheet thing uh, to keep up with it? I mean, I hate spreadsheets. Yeah, (laughs) you know, I'm
0: kind of like torn between a plotter and a pantser. I'm not sure if the mm-hmm. listeners know the, the distinction, but plotter is somebody who, you know, has every detail worked out before they even, you know, put their key, their fingers to the keyboard. And then a pantser is the one that just starts and then the characters run off and you have to like kind of type and hit that. <laughs> well, I'm somewhere between the two because if I try to plot, I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know what to write, what's going to come next. And if I try to pants, <laughs> pants it, um, uh, I will, you know, begin writing, and then I will think, oh, whoa, wait a second, where is my book going? There's nothing, you know, it's, it's going off the rails, it doesn't make sense. So I don't know why I, oh, spreadsheet. So <laughs> I, um, <laughs> well, I'm not that which you, yeah, you could probably start talking to me. I'm not quite that organized. <laughs> well, you know,
1: I, I'm both too. I'm I, I'm what I call a hybrid in that. You know, um, mm-hmm. I I kind of let's plot at the beginning and then you, know, you kind of have to let your characters tell you what's next sometimes.
0: Yeah, it yeah, sounds and crazy. And yeah, and that does happen, and it's fun when when you get something good and you get a good scene and you're like, yes. They're being authentic, you know. Then it's very exciting. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> so, um, so let's see. In your latest book, *The Sport of Matchmaking*, um, mm-hmm. I can read this little section for people. Um, mm-hmm. George Clavering is much too young to even think of marriage, even though his siblings are all happily married. This is fine for them, but not him. Not right now. That is why Lady Alice St. Clair is the perfect gaming partner. She has no desire to get married either. So when this unlikely pair come together for a friendly bet regarding matchmaking their friends, neither one thinks much of it until they do. Will George be able to stay immune to Lady Alice's charm? Will Lady Alice be able to keep her resolve to remain unmarried? Ooh, leave a question there. (laughs) Now I want to (laughs) know.
0: (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, I'll give you a hint. Since it's a romance, <laughs> is a variety, romance book. But that how it comes about—that's what makes it fun. <laughs>
1: that's the exciting part. Yes. <laughs> and um, so, of course, do you do you throw elements into your your characters that make them vulnerable and? Human. I know they have to be dashing and they have to be, you know, beautiful, lovely. But you know there are the frailties that we all have. Um, how do you work? How do you weave those in?
0: Yeah, um, I, I do actually quite a bit. Um, uh, you know, for instance, with uh, Alice, with Lady Alice, she is afraid to get married because um, in those days, you're, she's not really valued at home. And in those days, women's money, you know, their inheritance, their dowry, their settlement, whatever mm-hmm. they have goes directly into the hands of the husband. And so yeah. she's, thinking, well, if I get married, not only will he have my money, but I probably won't be valued either because she doesn't really think very highly of love. She doesn't think it exists. Mm-hmm. And so that's something. And then when she starts to give her heart, you know, um, something happens to, you know, to show her that she was right not to trust, you know. And so that's something she has to work, work through. You know, and and George, you know, he's kind of a, a a playboy in the innocent sense he's not um a rake as they would call it in regency terms <laughs> not really he's he's um but he does not want to settle down he's young, he wants to play, he wants to have fun, but you know he's got in a state that needs seeing to so he has to kind of grow up and he, he's starting to that's kind of forced upon him, like he needs to grow up. And so, you know, you feel the groan of like, ah, you know, I have to take care of this because no one else is going to do it for me. And then when you start to think about getting a wife, you know, it's, it's a little flippant at first, like, oh, yeah, I suppose it's the right thing to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm of age and everything. Then it kind of turns into, yeah, but what if it were her? And But no, it needs to be her. But I can't because she doesn't want to. And, you know, so I love adding those elements those, those elements you just feel it with them you know yeah um, i mean
1: they've had a burden uh to marry and produce a male heir in yes. that time so they generally married younger um you uh-huh. know in this modern yeah. age and and then for a woman you're right they really didn't have many choices
0: right for, you know, right and you know There's a scene where her mother, and and that's very frustrating for Alice because her mother does not listen to her. She doesn't believe her when she says she doesn't want to get married, and, you know, and her mother uh, basically lays it on the line, and she said, you will have no future if you don't get married. So basically, you know, you need to, and, uh, um, and that's just heartbreaking for someone to see their, you know, their desire, their independence just ripped away from them. And this was a reality for a lot of people. I mean, for this, this era.
1: Yes. I mean, well, even for men who really weren't ready at that age to get married, but they had to because it was expected.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Now, um, I wanted to ask you, too, well, we, we talked a little bit about doing the historical research, and, but what about, like, the dresses and the costumes? I mean, yeah, the guys had interesting things they wore, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but the dresses, <laughs> that's what Are I the think. the fun of. part. <laughs> yeah, and all, well, all think- the things they had to wear underneath, I mean, that's just monumental.
0: Yes, although it was much less during the Regency period. In fact, what is so exciting, I, I think most readers, listeners, will connect with, you know, Pride and Prejudice, the very simple dresses that had kind of a square yes. neckline and empire waist and very form-fitting limb uh, which were which were inspired by the uh, Empress Josephine the wife of, of Napoleon um, yes. but it was a big change from the like the Georgian era which was you know the um, the Marie Antoinette and you know the King Louis era with the big wigs and the big you know petticoats and you know there was a lot of stuff under there but oh. um, with the regency dresses they would just have a simple shift um and it was quite thin actually and in in some cases for the more daring uh young ladies it was actually even see through so they didn't oh. really wear very much but yeah exactly <laughs> we <laughs> looked well upon, but you know um, for some of the ones that wanted to be a little risque and everything but that's what so neat one of the many things so that's so neat about the Regency era is you know before like these huge dresses, and then afterwards, you know you think of the Victorian period we're back in the petticoats yeah. we've got the things going up to the neck and everything. but in this little snapshot of of about twenty years, their dresses were uh like Greek you know the grecian simple mm. uh, dresses and i just think that's cool <laughs> it's still more yeah. than we wear yeah <laughs> it's still more
1: <laughs> uh, than modern women wear but yes the, uh, now if you did if you happen to be not a slim of you know slim figure,
0: yeah. then that drawing yeah. would not be well, for you
1: you would not shine not in that era. at all
0: not at all in fact <laughs> i would not side in that era <laughs> i like <laughs> the cakes too much so that would be a problem but um, <laughs> but it's true that you know um and, and i think that is fun like that's part of the way that we we as authors we get to dream you know make your characters these like slender little weights for the most part, you know, and then you can imagine them perfectly fitting into the dresses without any problem. That's fiction. <laughs> so. what,
1: um, can you name, like, one of your favorite secondary characters in that, in the book?
0: In the, the sport, sport of, of matchmaking? Oh. <laughs> uh, well, in this one, okay, so there are kind of two love stories, and a lot of times I do that, not always on purpose, but just because it springs up that way. And there is a secondary love story in this one. There's, um, uh, there's Mr. Duckworth and Miss Chauncey. And, uh, um, you know, Mr. Duckworth goes by duck, uh, by his, you know, his friends call him (laughs) duck. And, uh, I kind of like Miss Chauncey because she um doesn't have the breeding that Lady Alice has. She has the money but she doesn't have the breeding. Her mom uh got their money through trade mainly and uh um but she is not one to try to cultivate a relationship with Lady Alice to try to better her position. In fact, she really wants nothing to do with the whole society and everything like that and so lady alice actually likes her and respects her i mean her her story is told because she's got her own uh, romantic story with with duck but um that was a really fun character to write because she didn't mind telling lady alice to bug off when she was getting too personal and things like that that most people wouldn't dare do So don't you enjoy your secondary characters because you can kind of
1: take them in different directions or just kind
0: of feel a little more
1: footloose with them?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I do. You know, uh, in my very first Regency novel that I um, – we might have a connection problem. Hold on. Uh, In my very first Regency novel that I wrote, it was called A Regrettable Proposal, a completely different series. And there was a secondary love story between Lydia and Fitz. And when I wrote the third book, they featured a big part of it because it's set in Waterloo, and he was a soldier, uh, an officer stationed in Brussels during that time. And so it was so fun to bring them back and just give them a bigger part, you know. And a lot of people did love their love story, too. You know, it's like you get two for one.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's it's romance the way you know. I mean, some people get um, engaged at other people's weddings.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. You know,
1: romances can change.
0: It is and and also you kind of think, well, you want everyone to um you know you want everyone to have their own love story, and so if you have more than one couple finding love, then that's great, you know it just shows there's more than enough to go around
1: having <laughs> I mean, a happy ending i mean happy endings are are important to um to romance i i mean love stories, i think i um I get very disappointed if there isn't a happy ending. I mean, I can yeah. handle a questionable ending, like, hmm, like on with the Wind ending, you know, <laughs> like, hmm, did she get it back? Well, you know the character. She probably did. Um, yeah. But I can't. Uh, it's just hard, you know, for readers. Yeah, of ones
0: that don't. Yeah. Ones that don't have a happy ending are not even technically a romance. They're maybe more like women's fiction or something as you as I'm sure you know. Yeah. But um, the um, you know, the happy ending for me, I think it's also a there's a spiritual component to it because we all want and expect our happy ending, our eternal happy ending, and so um, you know it's kind of a sign of things to come. You know, it's 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 just getting like reassured that you know that we're loved, that there's you know that there's good things, that we have our place, and and I think all of those are really important uh, elements, you know, and that's why people, that's why romance is such a hot market because people are looking for that.
1: Well, you know, one thing I. I noticed about well, say Pride and Prejudice, the conversations are much more clipped and biting and <laughs> and just uh, remarkable than our modern day conversation. Can you comment on that or like what it's like writing that? It was it was it, really an art.
0: Yes, it's so much fun. <laughs> That's just the, the most fun. Like when I get those scenes where I can really let the the um, the characters shine and have their wit go back and forth It's just so much fun. Like there's um you know, uh there's a scene in Philippa Holt's court where she's pouring tea for him and she asks him how many sugars he wants and he says, Three. And uh, she said, "So many is it to is it to balance out your bitter nature, you know?" And <laughs> just this, and then you know, just these play like play by plays between the two of them. And then he also gets her back, and you know, it's just fun. I think uh, that that's my favorite part of writing Regency, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, because you think, oh, oh, no, he didn't. Yeah. Oh no, she didn't. Yes. <laughs>
0: You, know, and you can do all those things that you cannot do in real life. Like, I'm not, I don't have a quick tongue, you know. I'm not able to, you know, think of the right thing at the right moment and everything. So it's really fun to be able to do that in a in book. <laughs>
1: and you said it all without one word, or like we say in Texas, cuss
0: words. <laughs> Yes, exactly. You know, modern, it's a, modern
1: day conversations. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. It, it, just to be able to say it with your wit and without using, you know, salty language. <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so we're running out of time. We have five minutes left. Um, can you tell us a little about life in Paris and, and how being there? Like, are you ruined for French bread now? I mean, because if you go back to the States... I'm from New Orleans, so we have our own French, our version of French bread, which is really, really good. Mm-hmm. But, um,
0: mm-hmm. but are you
1: ruined for it when you
0: try it here? Well, I would be, except that I'm gluten intolerant, which is just the saddest oh. thing, isn't it? I don't oh. drink alcohol, and I'm gluten intolerant. It is such a sad thing, but at least I'm not lactose intolerant.
1: But um, you can have some pastries and things like that. I'm Sure. No,
0: I can't. I well, need to make my own. No, I, I have celiac disease. I really can't oh. eat it. So I have to make my own. Um, and there are a few restaurants that do serve gluten-free, uh, special gluten-free pastries, which is so great when you can get that or gluten-free restaurants. Um, you know, no, <laughs> it's, yeah. no it's, so good. it's so good. In any case, it's my life. I have to deal with it. You know, I don't have a choice, so I just I just, I just deal with it. But um, I would say that, um, okay, here's just a little snapshot. One thing I love is I love seeing the kids in, like, elementary school, junior high, preschool, uh, high school. The boys will come up and shake each other's hands when they come to school. That's how they greet each other. And I just think that that is the cutest thing, you know. And, um, uh, and the girls, they don't usually do it when they're in elementary school, but by the time they're in uh, junior high, they give the two kisses on the cheek when they go to school, you know. Mm. And I just think that's so cute, you know. And they've got other little, like, manners and things like that. There's things like, you know, um, when you go into a doctor's office, or an elevator, or a shop, a small shop, you have to say hello, and that's, like, we're allergic to that in the States, like, you get on an elevator, someone says hello, and you're, like, you're ready to get off the elevator, you know, but it's not the same in France, you have to say hello to everybody, and when you get off the elevator, you have to say have a good day, you know, and so there's, like, these little, you know, um, courteous uh, things, and I love that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But life's little courtesies that are really old school here for some people, but yeah. not so much for you know, newer generations.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that's yeah. right. So I love that. And it's beautiful of course, architecture. It's so gorgeous. Museum. So, Museum. Mhm. Yeah. And and my husband comes from an old family, so we have a lot of really old things in our house. And, uh, like, I have in my file cabinet next to me, I have papers from the 18th century.
1: Oh, wow. You
0: know. I know. Cool, right? It's like Oh, yeah. You know. So we've got old stuff, and I just love it. I'm just so – I just love it here.
1: (laughs) Well, and uh, my final question, and we've got two minutes left, is how's your French? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it coming along? Did you know anything? Uh, before?
0: I did know before I before I went, I did know it. And you know, I my French is fluent. You can still hear that I that I have an accent and everything. You can tell I'm not a, a native speaker. But um I, you know, I can listen to the radio, I can talk in any situation about any topic with anybody and not have a problem with it. So um fortunately, you know, and now in French too. Um I got French I have double nationality. So, um, you know, I'm fully rooted here.
1: <laughs> that's wonderful. And, and well, yeah. I just want to encourage um, our listeners today to go and check out Alessia in France, your your blog. And um, yeah. that's so much fun. And to check out your books, well, your latest one, The Sport of Matchmaking and the whole Clavering mm-hmm. Chronicles series, and your other books as well. Mm-hmm. And check out your social media, your social. Check out. Jenny Shocht. Jenny to thank you. Thank you for being thank here today. You. And, oh, thank um, you so I, much for having me. Thank you for being here. And I look forward to maybe talking to you again in the
0: future. It's been that so much great. fun. Okay. Thank you. Um, good night.
2: Well, good night, night for me. <laughs> bye <laughs>
0: <Bye-bye>. <laughs>
1: bye. Bye. And now we're going to move on to our next guest today, Shelly Shepard Gray, but I'm going to play a little music in between. Mm Shelly. Shelly Shepard Gray is here, and I'm just going to read a little bit about her. I see she's online. Um, Shelly Shepard Gray is the New York Times and USA Today best-selling author of numerous romantic fiction series and mystery novels, including the Seasons of Sugar Creek series, the Sisters of the Heart series, the Families of Honor series, and more. She's a recipient of the reviews Review for Choice Award, and she has written more than 80 novels translated into multiple languages. Shelley, thank you for being on the show
2: today. Welcome. Uh, Thank you, Linda. I'm delighted to be joining (laughs) y'all.
1: Well, we're going to talk about your latest book, Edgewater Road. Um, But before that, I thought we would just talk about um, maybe how you got started in writing, because everybody likes to hear that.
2: Oh, sure. No, I'm delighted. No, no, no. Talk about anything. Um, you know, I started writing 20 years ago. Um, I used to be an elementary school teacher. And um, one day I I used to always read books during my lunch break. And one day I, I didn't have a book and I finally just kind of thought, maybe I'll see if I can just make something up. And that really instilled my, my love for um, writing, Uh, I never thought I'd be published. Um, But I I did end up uh, moving to Ohio and um, I I was joining some writing groups and I I sold my third manuscript.
1: That's exciting, what about, um, when you got your first contract, everybody remembers that day, Um, when and where was that or how did that happen?
2: You know, it was a surprise to me. I um I didn't have an agent at the time and um I you know, I I guess you know, it's funny, back then I think I was so hopeful. Like I just thought, "Oh, if I just keep trying, maybe it really will happen." And I did. I got a call from the editor. Um it was for a a, a little romance for a library publisher called Avalon Books mm-hmm. and And, um, you know, I, I just, she called and she said, you know what, we, we want to take a chance on you. And I, you know, of course was so excited and. Stunned. and then uh, she said you know and guess what you you've got quite a bit of work to do to make this book ready to go and um, you know that that's kind of like all right so this is now the reality instead of the fantasy of of, of getting a book publishing contract is like oh there's also a lot of hard work on on both sides of it but it was wonderful um it you know looking back i i've just it was a real blessing um there have been some other times when um i i worked and worked and worked for years to to get a contract um and uh you know when the first time i i sold a book to harlequin i um i just couldn't even believe it it took me three years to get in with them and and uh I burst into tears. My husband thought someone had died. (laughs) So they're, they're all, I I guess the moral is it's all wonderful. You know, it's just when, when you have a goal, no matter what it is and you, you work hard and you achieve it. I, I think it's, there's, there's, there's few things like that sense of satisfaction.
1: I agree. I, you know, um, Every author, including myself, we all remember getting that first contract. But then you, you also remember landmark ones. You know, it's like, I never thought I, this would happen. <laughs> or I never thought this Absolutely. would be... Absolutely. Yeah. So there's, uh, you know, and then uh, before you get published, you think, oh, if I could only get one book published, I'd be so happy. But then you live from publication to publication. You know, you think, oh, will I ever get published again? You know, and... <laughs> So there's a lot to it. A lot of victories.
2: No. A lot of- <laughs> I I agree. And you know, um people kind of laugh at me now cuz I uh I've I've actually ended up publishing over 100 books and I think I'm at 108 now and I'm still always sure that i i'm not going to get another book contract or or it's something's going to happen and i i think i i know i'm not the only author to feel that way oh, i you're not. i think and you know and and honestly i i again i just i keep putting it back to any job you if if you care you want to do well and if you know, and you want it to continue and um i I love writing i'm I, I care about my books i i love i love the the fact that I get to stay home and make things up and um it, it would be it would be heartbreaking for me if if it was dover so i'm i'm very I'm very thankful.
1: We know um, when I read your bio about um, your books being translated into multiple languages, I wanted to ask, is uh, there any one of those books where the translation got a little funky? <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it can be funny, you know. <laughs>
2: Oh, you know, I true. don't know. I I honestly I couldn't tell you exactly how the even the titles um, re- relate to. I know uh, one of my um, books for Avon, and it w- it was an Amish book, which I was surprised turned into um, uh, was translated into Japan and, and Japanese. And and um, so I I know that they they worked a lot with the covers, and I think they had to go quite a bit to. Um, convey to a typical person in Japan exactly who these people are running around um, Ohio in buggies and horses, but um, they, they yeah. it, it seemed to go over just fine.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, people are fascinated, I think, all over the world with, um, with the Amish culture. So that's cool. I mean, I was just wondering, sometimes writers have funny stories about how their book translated in just a weird way.
2: <laughs> oh I, I gosh, no! I, 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 bet, I bet you do. I mean, I know you've got lots of books in all different languages. I, I just, um, I, I, I don't, I don't have a good story for that one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, keep your eye out. You never know. But um, I wanted to read uh, the blurb for your your book, uh, Edgewater Road, and then maybe we could talk a little bit about it. Um, sure. Okay, Lincoln Bennett likes to keep his head down and get his work done. He's been to prison, and he knows that a lot of folks don't take kindly to a man with that kind of history. Plus, he's busy helping other ex-cons get back on their feet. But when he meets Jennifer, he can't help but feel an instant attraction. Will she be able to look past his unsavory history? Will she be able to accept the men he's working so hard to help? While Jennifer gets to know Lincoln and his friends, she also begins to unravel her grandmother's story putting together the pieces from scraps of memories and things she finds in her new home. She soon discovers that Ginny Smiley harbored some dark secrets on Edgewater Road and that those secrets include both Lincoln and her own absent father. Is learning the truth, the heartache it could bring. As the week pass, weeks pass and she and Lincoln become closer, Jennifer learns there's a lot to uncover in Ross County. Wonderful friendships, darling towns, and more than one secret that might be better left buried. Okay, you know the thing I look for—that that's great uh, in a romance book. I my theory is that every romance book contains elements of mystery and suspense too, and conflict and all that. Because if you don't have that, it's not much. <laughs> there isn't <so> much <laughs> to do. I agree.
2: I <laughs> agree. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so you've got mystery and suspense in this.
2: You know, I, yeah, this is I did. This is my um seventh book with with Blackstone and the the first two series I wrote for them were straight romances which was um just delightful. Um but I I wanted to take a chance and and honestly, I I had written this book almost all of it um way before we ever sold it. Um I ended up just pretty much writing it for myself. Um and it, it, it just was all a little bit different, and and it did. It had a it has a nice nice touch of of romantic suspense. Um, the whole series does, and I I, I enjoy re- reading re- romantic suspense. I enjoy reading mysteries. So this was um, this was a, something that I'm fond about, um, and I and so I I was thrilled to to add those elements in in this romance. Um,
1: tell us a little bit about your um, your writing process. Do you write a certain amount of words a day, like say two thousand? A lot of people like to write two two to five thousand, or do you just write in big spurts?
2: No, I write every day. I um, usually I'm on deadline, and uh, so I I'm always frantically trying to get the book done on time. Um, I, I'm one of those authors that that just I, I don't want to be that girl that, that has to, you know, explain why I, I couldn't do my job and get the book in on time. So wow. I'm, I, I, I usually write, um, I try for 10 pages and that's a give or take um, 2000 words. Um, and if it's, if, if I'm closer to deadline, it'll be more of like 13 to 15 pages and, About Mm -hmm. 2,500 words. And, um, you know, uh, sometimes I'm writing seven days a week on um, um, when I, when things are going well I I love to at least take Sundays off or just try and only write like maybe five pages but I am I'm pretty diligent about that um, when I when my kids were still home I mean gosh they're both married now so this was a while back I mean I used mm-hmm. to write first thing in the morning like 6:30, I'd be starting and and um, I, I seem to have gotten lazier as I've gotten older. Um, so you know, I'll, I'll like do emails and stuff, and then be like, "Yeah, I guess I better write." And next thing I know, I'm at the grocery store, and then it's like two or three o'clock. I'm like, "Oh goodness!" So, um, but no matter what, it gets done, and I'm 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 glad about that. I'm I'm I have uh, some really good critique partners, and one of them, she loves to. Um, procrastinate, and I—I I don't know how she sleeps. <laughs> so I'm like, "What do you mean? What are you doing? You—you you got this book too and and she's like, "Oh, I know it. I'll get it done." But she is; she's a fantastic writer, and she can write in spurts. I um, unfortunately am not that gift, gifted that way.
1: Now, I think it's less stressful to um, to eat the elephant one bite at a time. <laughs>
2: Small right well yeah well and i and i am not i i write depending on the publisher i i write a, a pretty good synopsis but um sometimes i i just don't have to like i i may sell a series um in each book it is just maybe two paragraphs about it which is wonderful when you're trying to get a contract but it's not so easy when you're sitting down trying to write 300, 400 pages and you've got two paragraphs to go on. So sometimes I'm, I sit and just think, okay, wonder what everybody should be doing next. <laughs> or I'll have to, I'll have to plot, I'll have to just stop and be like, okay, I better write a, a much better outline and, and add a lot more plot points. And I, you know, I, I, I every writer I talk to, they seem to have their own routine or not yes. a routine, and it works for them.
1: Yeah, we're all wired differently, and, you know, it for a, a lot of people, I think there's a, a combination of both. You know, you plot to a certain point, and then you let your characters tell you where they're going, which sounds crazy to normal people, <laughs> but your characters right. do kind of lead you in a different direction sometimes,
2: and it's not crazy. Yeah, I yeah. agree. And I and I think that's I think that's the dream. At least it was for me when I used to dream about writing a book. I just thought it would be like the the writers you see in the in the movies. You know, like I remember Kathleen Turner in *Romancing the Stone*, and she's just yeah. typing along on a typewriter, and all of a sudden, you know, she types the end, and it it is. It's the end, and and she's just you know you know worn out and and thrilled and crying and and you know calls her agent or editor or somebody and off it's going to go and i i sometimes you just wish gosh i i wish i was just gonna get in this writing frenzy and and be done and then it's done but um for me i i write and then i'll rewrite it and then w- maybe rewrite it again so it it's a process for sure the authors in movies—they um, never have edits. <laughs> they never have the,
1: the editors. Always like, oh, this is fantastic. Blah blah blah. They never mention anything about edits. You know, it's just like well, you know, one and done. Well, and.
2: <laughs> Yeah, and maybe that's a good thing. You know, everyone's thinking we can just, you know, pop this stuff out, and it's and it's wonderful. Maybe we everyone doesn't know just just how much uncertainty and, and revision um, comes into a a, a good book. <laughs> yeah,
1: the work um, involved in that. Now, is there a, is there a genre you've always secretly wanted to write in, but maybe think you can't?
2: You know, I um I admire uh historical mystery authors. I mean, I just my favorite author is Anne Perry. Um I like that uh, Jacqueline Winspear. I mean, I just have a, a a whole host of of writers that I enjoy reading. Um and I I'm just fascinated by by the way they can just put so much history and research and and then do all these fine plot points and red herrings and you name it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I I I used to really wish I could be a mystery writer. And then I I just decided, you know what? I'm gonna I, I, one. I I just don't think that's the way my mind works. I'm not always great with details. And and also um, I just I I love when I do read a mystery. I don't sit and I, I don't critique it or I don't think, oh, I wish I could do that. I, I just enjoy it. it it's, it's When I read a, a historical mystery, I, I don't think anything, but I'm so excited I have this book to read. And I, I'm glad I still have that as a, as a reader, this just fascination and love for the written word and I just adore when a writer can do something and I don't have to wonder if I could do it too. I'm, I'm just glad that they can. Do you get attached
1: to your characters?
2: I do. I, I really do. And one one example is Lincoln in Edgewater Road. Um, when I, I just first thought of this hero, and, yeah, he uh, – he has a very much a checkered past and he's kind of rough around the edges and he's really not the usual type of hero. I, I, I write, um, I was attached to him and even in my editor, um, she wrote me back on the first round of revisions and she's like, I don't know, Shelly. And, and I, I usually, I I'm a very good follow direction author. I'm like, okay, I'll change it. And, I kinda of fought for him and I, I said, you know what, I I know who this guy is and I I think I like him and I, I think maybe readers are gonna like him too. And I, I did calm him down a little bit. But um you know, I, I I it was a little bit of like, you know, I like this guy and I'm attached to him and my book wouldn't be the same if if this character was different. And I was glad that um, they they ended up just letting me leave him alone. I guess. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's good. Like you, you know, you kind of have to sort out. You know, don't sweat the small things that are changed. Mm-hmm. You know, and just fight for you know the things that are really important to you, to your story and your
2: character. Right. Yeah. Right. And I and I I think that's part two of every author. You know that it it's something that you just you love you you love when you love your book and you love your characters, and it doesn't always happen i mean sometimes i'll I'll finish a book and I'll think you know i I'm pleased with it i I think it's a good story um it, but there's and, and and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but every once in a while you write a book and you're just like, "Wow." This one was pretty good. You know, I'm really proud of it. And so, um, and that's the kind of just, you love you love that, that that sense of, of like, all right, I, I did a good job on this one. Sense of accomplishment.
1: Do you ever have a swoon moment, like when you've written like a romance, like a wedding or, or some kind of really romantic scene? And you think, oh,
2: I just want to swoon. <laughs> I do. I do. And I mean, I... I, I love that when I read it in, in a, someone else's book, but I really love it when I create it. And and it's funny, you know. Here we are, Linda, talking about you know revisions and so forth. It seems like moments like that they just come, and and uh, you're just like, wow, this was this this was the scene that I had imagined, and somehow I was able to get it on paper um and so that is that that's just that's a nice moment and it's it's really nice when if my agent or my editor or a reader will write and be like oh my gosh i i really like this this hero or the heroine or this scene and and you and you almost want to say i did too <laughs> didn't always like Chapter Five, but I did like this part <laughs> so. and
1: like and it all turned out is all turned out okay. I wasn't sure, but it did
2: <laughs> right, right, right. you're exactly right.
1: <laughs> did you ever have a plot line that you kind of thought of a plot for a book just loosely and um and thought, oh, there's no way I could sell an editor on this, or it's you know it's just not gonna I just can't do it.
2: Oh no, absolutely! I I have kind of a cute story about that. So I think I was writing my maybe fourth series with um, Avon a- Avon Inspire. I wrote a bunch of um, Avon uh, Amish books for them. And anyway, I I got to meet with my editor up in San Francisco. So um, she took me to lunch, and we're chatting, and it was all good. And she's like, "Well, Shelly, what do you want to do for the next series?" And I had gone down to Kentucky to Crittenden County, which is in like the southwest part, Porter, a part portion of the state, and um, I to look to research a new Amish community that to me. And it and anyway, it's in Crittenden County, and I thought this is it. And when we had gone out, it was raining, and I I knew what where I wanted it. And I so anyway, I asked, I told the editor, I'm like, yeah. I want to start this new romance series and with um and the first scene in the first book I want it to um everyone finds a um a dead body in a will and it's an amish boy, and she just i mean you could have just heard of that yeah. job, she's like, what <laughs> it's just it was almost like she wanted to just like should we review you know you are supposed to write Amish romances, not about boys in the well <laughs> and but, but I talked to her about it
0: <laughs> and
2: um, she she did give it a try and um, and then it, a lot of people that was their favorite series so I was glad about that see
1: now that's cool because you know that's more like real you know real life it has elements of you know, of you know like how did that happen you know how did he get down there you
2: know right right you know?
1: Yeah, it gives you something more to think about, and then it, to have. Fun. It
2: certainly did. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it it was it was fun for me. Um, I'm notorious, uh, you know, uh, for n- never being able to follow a good timeline. And I try. I mean, every chapter, I'm like trying and write the date. Um, I just to help the editor so she doesn't just pull her hair out. And um all three these three books of of this this series the Secrets of Crittenden County that each each book took place over two weeks and the book 2 started the day after book 1 ended. So there was a lot of timeline issues for m- multiple books and I um I have a feeling once once you know we we finished all the revisions on the last book um I I have a feeling everybody on that team over there at HarperCollins was was went out <laughs> to go celebrate that they that <laughs> we got through it but it was you know it was it was it was fun it was for for me and a challenge and um I I think again in any occupation or especially in my writing occupation, it's it's nice to push yourself as a writer. And I, I think it keeps things fresh and uh and and I can tell um I, I think that the the reader can tell that the writer is still like stretching herself and and, and trying to come up with something that they'll enjoy. And I, I think it shows on the page when you push, when you push yourself.
1: Do you find it hard to say goodbye to characters when you end a series? Like, you know. I do. Still-
2: I do. Not not all of them. There have been people that I've just been really glad that they have are having a nice life and they can just go on in happily ever after world. But um there have been um I wrote I a uh, an Amish series set in, in Pinecraft which is in Florida and I love them. They were Sherry really Gore. happy books. Uh yeah and that's Sherry where Beaver. Sherry Gore is yeah. yeah. And um yeah. yeah now I guess she's in Pennsylvania, right? But yeah that. she yeah, she's wonderful. But anyway, I I wrote those and um, I wanted to continue on and I I did. I asked my my editor. I said everybody just comes in. On, all the Amish come in on these buses, you know. I've got. I think I could write lots and lots of books. And they were like, no, you've written three. That's enough. So it is. Sometimes it's hard to say goodbye um, goodbye to either a setting or a group of characters, but. Um, you know, I, I always, I, I tell readers it, when you start a series, it's like people move in next door, um, and you, you're trying to get to know them. And then when it ends, you know, they, they move away and you get somebody else that comes in. So that's I, great. I, uh, I, I, I guess that's, I guess that's the way to think about it. And sometimes those
1: characters are, are
2: squatters. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to kick them out. Kick them out of your head. <laughs> yes, right. I like I like that image. That's
1: fun. <laughs> but you know that uh, that's a perfect segue because we're uh we're about at the end now of our show and um I wanted to um make sure that listeners can find you. Your your website is com. It's pretty simple. Yes, it is.
2: Yeah. And I'm also on Facebook. Um, I'm on Instagram as Shelly S. Gray. I'm on Twitter as Shelly Gray. So, yes, if if uh, readers are inter- interested, I'd I'd love to connect with them all through social media. It's so fun. And your and
1: the name I'm gonna spell your name out so they can find it because there's so many ways to you know spell these names. Um, S. A. G. L. L. E. Y. Shelley Shepherd. S-H-E-P-A-R-D, and Gray with an A. (laughs) Yes, Gray with an A. (laughs) So they can find (laughs) me. Thank you. It's been delightful talking to you today. I I really have a lot of fun. Oh, me
2: too. I really appreciate you having me on it. I've been enjoying your, your podcast so much, so thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I hope we can
1: chat again, whether it's on another podcast or or at a conference sometime
2: or, you know, wherever, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, if we we're ever all back in person, it would be great. I <laughs> can't, can't wait.
1: We might be wearing hazmat suits, but that's okay.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Alrighty. Well, you have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much, and thank you, listeners. I uh, hope you go and check out Shelly's books. Bye-bye now. Okay,
2: thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.